Hello and welcome to another episode of Cast It Into The Fire podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Sherry. And we are back to covering every existing adaptation of The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. So now we are on to another uh, Soviet-Russian um, live-action one. This is of The Fellowship of the Ring, but it is called... Um, I'm not certain on the pronunciation here. Cranatelli or The Keepers? The Keepers, yeah. Or um, you can find it as The Lord of the Rings 1991. Now this can be found in on YouTube. I haven't been I haven't seen it on DVD anywhere. I haven't looked super thoroughly, but I don't think you can find it. You can either find the whole thing completely in Russian or you can find it um in parts 1 and 2 with English subtitles. But you have to actually go to um the the settings bar or, or something like that on the edge of the video to select for subtitles to turn them on and you have the choice of in English or in Russian just look for the CC closed captioned <clears throat> yeah since neither of us speaks Russian we use the English subtitles and um, we hope they're accurate they they seem like they are with maybe minor grammar issues. This is all live action. It's just the Fellowship of the Rings. There's no Two Towers or Return of the King. Which uh, we both think is probably because it was made the year that um, the Soviet Union dissolved and you know the big political change making more Lord of the Rings movies would not have been the priority, possibly not allowed, in yeah, whatever it's not, case. It's not, it's not clear exactly what was going on uh, with the actual actors. Maybe they had no more budget. You know, it's it's not clear. And this was obviously a very low-budget film as far as like the special effects go. So anyway, it begins with an opening song and the ring is seen rotated in a circle on uh, something spinning. And the writing on the ring appears to be in Russian as opposed to um, the the Elvish script. Right. You can see hobbits and hats. You can see something burning. And the Nazgul riding horses. Uh, I should... Say they're not riding black horses as they were in the book or in um, the more recent uh, Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings. And I think they probably just, you know, casted some people who happened to have horses and, you know, able to ride them around wearing a black robe. <laughs> and. Yeah, the opening song is um, the poem from the beginning of the book. Three rings for the elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, nine for mortal men doomed to die, one for the dark lord on his dark throne. This is The Keepers, a fantasy based on a novel by J.R.R. Tolkien. 
Um, now you see a narrator who is a guy with a pipe that I think is intended to be like Tolkien. He doesn't look as much like Tolkien as the guy they had for The Hobbits, but he's then, got the whole aesthetic and going. And they continue on, one for the Dark Lord on his dark throne, one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness find them. And in the land of Mordor, where the shadows lie. And you know, it's back to the narrator, and he's talking about how they'll, they'll talk about hobbits, we'll discover some details about their life and their ways. Hobbits are an unobtrusive but very ancient people. They love peace and quiet, good tilled earth, green meadows. Now the world has become too noisy, so they prefer to dwell in a world of their own, in a land which is called the Shire. And uh, next you see the hobbits um, dancing. And though small, they are tough and stout. In days of peace and ease, they live in their own way, which is a merry one. And no time have hobbits been warlike, and they never fought among themselves. They are perhaps so unwearyingly fond of good things, not least because they could do without them in times of grief, in a way that astonished those who looked no further than their well-fed faces. Now hobbits are getting ready for a celebration. Bilbo Baggins is going to be 111 years old. That's right, 111 years. Hobbits lived long, but Bilbo in his age looked more like 50. When spirit is free of greed and malice, body stays young for a long time. Which, uh, yeah, that's not what happened there. That's not what happened. Uh, Well, I don't think it'd be too much of a spoiler to say that. The ring ring is making him do that. Yes. Um, So, yeah, the hobbits are at their party. They're dancing. They got sort of a cheery music going that. It reminds me a lot of the compositions by Derek and Brandon Feichter. Mm-hmm. If I'm getting their name right, I don't think they they were involved in this. This was it. Who knows? Maybe they were even inspired by this song. But it really reminds me of their uh, halflings and uh, leprechauns and gnomes soundtrack that uh, they put on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Just similar style. So Bilbo makes his uh, his speech. You know, my friends, my friends, I'm terribly glad to see all of you here at my party. Here are the boffins. Here is Peregrine Took, Mary Brandybuck, and you, my cousin, my dear Lobelia. Pleased to see you. <laughs> he kisses her hand. I think there's plenty of sarcasm there. And, you know, they're all, you know, greeting him back. Whoa, please, Bilbo. Bilbo, you've been prodigal again. How much did you spend on this? Bilbo, Bilbo. And he's like, oh, yes, Lobelia Sackville Baggins in her uh, usual self. Please, Lobelia, stop worrying about my money, Sackville. You think about it. Just think. It's not about money today. Imagine 111 years, a magic number, three times one. So, yeah, he's... I think Lobelia was thinking, don't spend it on this because I want it. Yeah, she's thinking that this is going to be... She wants it to be her inheritance and here is blowing it all on a big party. 
know, she's at him about that, and he's like, no, you'll never, and he's like, you mean after my passing? No. Lobelia, on my birthday? No. You'll never see it, and she says, oh, I meant, I meant it was the feast I was talking about. And he doesn't believe her. And, oh, she's like, oh, yes, it was about the feast. I meant it was the feast. And they, sh- they shout at him, she meant the feast. And um, he tells her to smile, and she actually does it. And, right, that makes you look no more than 80 to 85 years old. Oh, she doesn't look 80 to 85 years old. No. <laughs> and the hobbit comes and sweeps her into a dance. Gandalf is uh, also there. Now, this Gandalf... I'd say his... Oh, what stood out to me right away is his beard is not fake. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a shorter beard, but it's his beard. Uh, and uh, we introduce Gandalf, the great magician and wizard, and uh, they've known each other for ages. And Gandalf has like this purple outfit with swirls on it, which I guess is to show he's a wizard. And Bilbo and Gandalf kiss cheeks, which, as we've you know discussed in one of the previous episodes about Russian Hobbit, it, it's a cultural thing. Oh, by the way, the crunching you hear is uh, our dog. Dog. She has one of those dried yak cheese blocks that are supposed to be a good chew toy for them, and she's just like chewing. We, on we that. chose chewing over barking. <laughs> and um, Gandalf says he's got a little present for him, and. Next, you see drawings of fireworks superimposed on the screen. We yeah. said this was low, bu- low budget. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was a little silly, but... <laughs> so, they go, they eat, and um, the hobbits are eating and drinking, but it's hard to tell what they're eating and drinking. And you know, Gandalf is talking to Bilbo about he's made up of his mind, his holiday very long holiday. He doesn't expect he's going to return. In fact, there's no point to it. And he's made all the arrangements. This is Bilbo talking. He's old Gandalf and um, Gandalf Gandalf tells him that he believes his decision is the right one. And he's decided to leave everything to his nephew Frodo who is 33 now and for Hobbit that means coming of age. That's like saying 18 or 21. We've already discussed in our podcast talking about the book that Frodo is technically not his nephew. Um, He's more of like a second cousin. Second cousin, cousin removed by... Something like that. Something like that. And you'll keep an eye on Frodo. Yes, he will. Two eyes, to be sure. 
and um, give him the envelope or all the arrangements are in it, and he's leaving everything to him, and Gandalf's like, really, everything, even the ring, and Frodo, Bilbo, like, the ring, um, not the ring, he doesn't want to leave it, his, it's as precious yeah, and Gandalf is alarmed at him calling it that, and he thinks he should leave it behind Bilbo, and Bilbo's like, "No, you want it for yourself." I mean, if you're familiar with the story at all, it's pretty much the same basic um, way that it happened in both the book and the um, Peter Jackson version. Yeah, he doesn't want to give away the ring. And so what if he called it precious? Um, actually, no, it didn't have the so what part in it. But, um, yeah, Gandalf thinks it's disturbing that he called it precious like Gollum did. But eventually persuades Bilbo to give it up. He does a sort of shadow motions with his hands and Bilbo covers his eyes. And I guess that's their way of showing Gandalf, you know, showing his power intimidatingly. Mm-hmm. It's not that intimidating. And so Bilbo apologizes, says he doesn't know what has come over him, but he feels better, and he... felt like someone is always looking at him and staring, and you see the scene cuts to an ominous um, black cloak and ring in his hand. And... He feels thin like butter scraped over bread by a miser, and he knows that the ring is drying him up, and it's getting a hold on him. And so Gandalf says, you know, let go, stop possessing it, Bilbo. And so he leaves the ring to, so he's going to leave the ring to Frodo, but he's going to say goodbye to his friends, and he makes his his other famous speech. Oh, one thing I noticed in that is that a lot of the people have, like, lamb chop sideburns. Yes. <laughs> and... And the majority of hobbits are incapable of growing beards in the book, so... That's a bit of a change. Aye, Bilbo Baggins address you. Hear, hear, my dear Tooks and Brandybucks and Boffins and Hornblowers. Hope you are all enjoying yourselves as much as I am. I am glad, very glad. They called it Long Live Bilbo. Hooray, live to 300. Not... not three hundred. Three, 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 please. Three hundred is too much. Can't promise. Did you have fun at my birthday? I am happy, but today is another birthday also. 
The birthday of my nephew, Frodo, he is 33. He comes of age and into his inheritance. I regret to announce that though 11-1 years is a joy to spend among you, but fellow hobbits, when it's time, it, it's time. I, it is not funny, I'm leaving. And then Bilbo puts on the ring and disappears. To the confusion of the hobbits. And um, Gandalf says, you forgot something. Oh, I'm sorry, Gandalf. And Bilbo puts the ring in the envelope and walks away. And the party continues. And Lobelia says, why do you leave his possessions to this kid, Frodo? Aren't we Sackville Bagginses the closest of kin, huh? And this queer Bilbo ran away again. Old fool can't sit still. Never mind, this food's still on the table. Frodo is next seen in Bag End with Gandalf. And... Um, he's coming to terms with that Bilbo is gone, and all evening he'd been hoping it was only a joke, but he knew in his heart that he used to joke about serious things. Um, Gandalf says not to be too troubled, he'll be alright, and he left something for you now. You are the master of a state now. So he's... Uh, yeah, that's more yeah, shock on Bilbo. Yeah, he's the master of Bag End and on Bilbo Frodo, you mean? Yes, Frodo. He's not coming back, and then Frodo was crying, and Frodo looks in the envelope where there's the the ring, and he wonders why that was left to him too. But it still may be useful. And Gandalf says, may and it may not. And he should not make you... I should not make use of it if I were you. It is dangerous. And next, the scene cuts to the Nazgul riding through snowy woods. And there's some kind of a, a battle scene going. It has so much dark power that it would overcome anyone of mortal race. Who keeps the ring does not die, but he does not obtain more life. He merely continues, exists without any joy or happiness, and with great struggle. And uh, Frodo is how terrifying. It looks so beautiful. He starts to put on the ring. And Gandalf says, beware. Who often uses the ring, he fades. He becomes visible only to the Dark Lord and a servant to his dark powers. And then another hooded cloak shot. Do you think that's supposed to be Sauron? I thought it might be. If that is Sauron, it's kind of not impressive, but... Yeah. And he says, Gandalf, who is the Lord of the Rings? And um, Gandalf says, the Dark Lord rules the dark powers which bring evil to the world. He dwells in the horrid land of Mordor, which a uh, castle is shown... The shadow changes its disguises. It grows. It wants to consume the world. And uh, Frodo says, I wish I won't see it. We are not free to choose our destiny. We have little time, Frodo. But how did this thing come to our Bilbo? And from the narrator, you'll, fi you'll find out soon. The narrator um, says, by the banks of the great river, there lives little people very much like hobbits. And um, it tells the story of Smeagol and Deagle. And how they went fishing. And. Yeah. 
a little funny thing about that. Well, I'll, I'll get to it in a moment when you, you get to there. But, uh... Yeah, Deagle falls in and he... Uh, after a fish grabs the line, Deagle falls in, he swims underwater, he finds the ring, he surfaces again, Smeagol helps him ashore. He's dry as a bone coming out of the water. Of course he is. And, and they have their little exchange, oh, what you got there, a ring? Give it to us. Give us that, Deagle, my love. Why is that? It's my birthday and I want it. I've given you a present already and this ring, I'm going to keep it. Now, this is interesting I'll probably talk about this again when I'm doing the book some more. Mm-hmm. But hobbits traditionally give away presents on their birthday, not receive it. Right. So maybe that's significant that Smeagol receives presents on his birthday instead of giving them kind of a... Maybe the writers of this uh, Russian adaptation felt that Tolkien made a mistake and that they really meant that... But that's in the book, too, with Smeagol. I know, so. which is why I'm saying that they decided Tolkien made a mistake and it should be the other way around. I don't know. No, this this this, this is pretty much the same exchange as happened in the book. And... What, including the, um... The birthday present? Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 almost that's almost a birthday present instead of giving. That's almost word for word from the book. Okay, so that is weird. This ring, I'm going to keep it. Oh, how come, my love? Why you can't do that, Deagle dear? Smeagol and strangles Deagle. You were wrong, dear. You were wrong. You were wrong, my love. Wrong. And then back to the narrator. The ring was so wondrous it shone and glittered. And the narrator shows the ring on finger. And Smeagol puts it on his finger and disappears. And when he realizes the ring makes him invisible, he starts wearing it more and more often. And took to eavesdropping and creeping so his family turned him out of home. Which made him even more evil, and he turned into a real monster. And it shows Smeagol turn into green golem, and then there's just a weird montage of him in a cave, and he's muttering and gurgling, and um, you see the spinning ring on the chain, and there's this kind of weird music thing going in the background. Yeah. That they repeat whenever anything ominous is happening. And he asks Gandalf how he learned all this about the ring and golem, and maybe he's just guessing. But Gandalf says he knows much and more, he's seen Gollum, and uh, there's more weird Gollum cave montage stuff, and then Gandalf catches him. He's just, like, hanging out in the cave, like, waving his hands around. And... Mm-hmm. He says, speak up, where did you get the ring? Gollum, it's mine, my precious, it came from my grandmother. Your grandmother, stop lying to me, pal. It's weird to think of calling Gollum pal. And he says, I'm sure that she was a resourceful person in her way, but I doubt she had such resources as rings of power. And as for giving them away, 
to such a scoundrel, and Gollum makes more gollum noises, and uh, she had a lot of trinkets. Then Gollum had lost the ring in the cave, and it was found by Bilbo, and now it has come to Frodo, and Frodo asked what else the Gollum tell, and he put the fear of fire on him and wrung the true story out of him, how he lost the ring. And then he stopped as if he was frozen, and he only whined because he was afraid of something another fear. And he spoke in the dark hints about making some fine new friends. We'll show some persons an orc or two. Now, orc is being spelled with a K, which it isn't in Lord of the Rings. There are some... Works out the actually more recent ones like um, Warhammer, where orcs are spelled with K. And Frodo doesn't know what orcs are. They are the enemies of hobbits, and you'll know about them later. But it seems he's made his way to the land of Mordor and to the Dark Lord. And so now the enemy knows where the Master Ring is. And that he has it. And now the Shire is in danger. And Frodo is alarmed and says, let's let's do this. Let's destroy the ring. Let's throw it in the fire. But no, because the ring was forged in the fires of Origin Mountain. Only It can only be destroyed there. They dangle the ring in the fire, which doesn't do anything. And if he really wishes to make it disappear forever... And you've spoken so long it makes him hungry, so he should eat. A long journey awaits. And he's not just a hobbit. He's been chosen, and many perilous quests await him. And look closely. There's an inscription inside the ring. Nine for mortal men doomed to die. And it shows the Nazgul riding. One for the Dark Lord on his dark throne. And Gandalf says, Nine black riders will chase you. They are the servants of the darkness. Now, in the book, he didn't know about the Nazgul chasing yet. He actually goes on more travels to find stuff out, and quite a bit of time passes. And mm-hmm. if, and when he found out about the Nazgul later, he was like, Oh, if I would known about this, we would have fled at once. Now, it looked like the black riders... When you see them, looks like you're only seeing three. Well, maybe they didn't cast nine guys with horses. I was wondering if they would, like, reshoot the same three so it would make it look like nine were riding. Uh, they'll they'll confront you, Frodo, and uh, Frodo says, uh, will you help me? And he says, no, I'm a wizard. The ring can be destroyed by an ordinary hobbit. By him, he won't be alone. His friends will follow him. His friends, cheerful Mary Brandybuck, compassionate Sam Gamgee, Pippin Took, strong as an ox, which is not something I would describe Pippin as. Yeah. If anything, he's kind of small for a hobbit, Slight, I thought. Yeah. Um, and so they're going to go, but he has to change his name because he can't go by Frodo Baggins, it's not safe. He'll be Frodo Underhills. 
And now, is it plural? With it's an not S? plural with an That's S. What I was wondering. I, I I was wondering that the S on there kind of threw me. And another thing that they will face a, a challenge is that winter is coming. And Frodo's like, no, I don't like the cold. It's always summer in the Shire. He won't go. Now, that's not true. Yeah, that that was also something I wanted to say, you know, ask you about. My was. impression was that the Shire probably does have milder weather than average, but it's certainly not always summer. Um, a really extreme, historically notable winter, the river froze over. So to me that says they get winter, but not necessarily maybe a full winter where, you know, a major river's going to freeze solid. So mild winter, but... Say like maybe like England, but England gets sometimes more. Yeah, it, well, winters can vary from year to year too. Last year we had a no shoveling winter, basically. And so began our friends' long journey from Shire to Mortar. Raindrops sang their tune, churning into first snowflakes. Gandalf was right in that prediction: the winter was coming. Oh. And the tune also turned from happy to sad. You know, wet clothes, luggage, twice as heavy than before. And there the freezing cold all this brings no happy thoughts. On one day they heard the sound of hoofs. And they couldn't see who it was, but they thought that it was dangerous. And sure enough, you see the Nazgul. And they hide... They hide while the Nazgul go by. And they're like, we need to be careful. This is dreadful. When are we going to get dinner and breakfast and supper? They're hungry. So they take the road to Buckland to Maggot's Inn. Because Maggot will help them. Now, once again, this is a change. Maggot, Farmer Maggot was just you know, a farmer with some farmland and... He had his wife and his three sons, but he wasn't an innkeeper. So they arrive at the inn. And look at the sign on the outside of the inn. Yeah, it's... Russian? It's in Russian. And Maggot appears to be a man, not a hobbit. Which... You know, interestingly enough, in early drafts, um, Maggot, I mean, by Tolkien, Maggot wasn't going to be a hobbit. Maybe somebody who's, like, sort of part hobbit, or, mm-hmm. but he was something different, And but in the actual published version, he's a hobbit. Yeah. And... Uh, they they go to the inn to get warm and to eat. 
And he said, oh, you drink, you eat, just pay for it. And the beer is good. And the buns are splendid. And he says, I know who you are already. All the Shire knows Frodo Baggins and his good fellows. And he's like, I'm not Frodo, I'm Underhills. Yeah, yeah, changing names now, huh? So he sees through them. And they say that they need to reach, they're traveling in secret, they need to reach the ferry. And, oh, and, and that, uh, they, they were told that, uh, a writer had come through looking for, you know, a hobbit named Bilbo Baggins and with three companions, uh, uh, he's, yeah, spooky rider on a big black horse, and he asked about Frodo. He at, um had he left, and he and his three friends, and he says to tell him where, and he'll come back with gold. And he would look frightful, and he was hissing and croaking and crouching in the saddle as if not alive, which actually is a. A detail from the book is they ride weirdly, like they don't sit properly in the saddle. Mm-hmm. And they asked, "Well, what did you what did you say to him?" And she told him to be off, and he doesn't know anything, and to take the gold wherever he likes, but he doesn't know any baggins. And they're like, "Well, wait, if you don't want gold, how come you're making us pay for our food?" And he's like, oh, that's different. Paying for food isn't the same as paying for treason. I don't want to be paid for treason. I'm an honest man. My life's not an easy one, but I've never betrayed anyone. And I I know about you, and there are rumors. About what? About you being fine, lads. And I've seen no harm from you, so go back home and live quietly. We didn't harm anyone. We give you my word we won't, but we need a favor if you could help us to help us get to the ferry. And, um, yes, if they'll pay for it, they he'll get his brothers to bring them to the ferry. And, um, Oh, this is where they uh, are on this one-horse sleigh. Actually, more like a, a tobogganing-y type ride. Yeah, I mean... Like a dog sled. I don't... I don't know the word for it when there's only one horse pulling it, but it's definitely it's a Russian-style sleigh. And they were piled in I mean, that. I think like, of a troika, piled. but I think a troika is pulled by three horses, so this yeah. is something different. You know, they're flying from... This is not a treasure hunt. It's not a there and back again journey. They're going from deadly peril into deadly peril. There's death at every corner, and they're like, we know this, Frodo. We know it's not a laughing matter, and we're going to do our best to help him. And, yes, they already know about the ring. They've known about it for years. From Bilbo, even 
though he wanted to be secretive, so he kept his mouth shut about it. He found out about it by accident, and when Gandalf asked them to help Frodo, they we didn't they didn't say a word against it. He said to take someone you can trust, but Frodo's like it seems they can't trust anybody. Some friends you are, but we'll stick to you through thick and thin, through snow and snow. And they're not going to leave him because they're his friends. And next, the ground is rising steadily and they're getting into trees, which are taller, darker, and thicker. And there's no sound, but the hobbits got an uncomfortable feeling that they were being watched with disapproval, deepening to dislike and even enmity. Um, you see pussy willows and a close-up of the ring and snow. And then where has the winter gone, really? Maybe it's over. But no, the winter's not over. They have come into the old forest, which has been left out of other film adaptations. Other bits of it that are kept are combined with Fangorn and Treebeard and extended scenes. But, you know, there's an actual forest on the edge of the Shire where the trees are alive, not friendly, and they do things like shift a bit so the path is wrong, and it'd be like drop a branch in an unfriendly way, uh, just yeah, think bad thoughts and make you uncomfortable being under them. I don't get the impression that most of the trees would like openly attack somebody, yeah. but they just make the forest very oppressive and uncomfortable to travel through. And yeah, who knows what would happen if you went in there like alone and with an axe, for instance. Yeah. And Frodo asks if it's true what they say because the stories about it are a nightmare and you're like, oh I don't believe in old bogey stories, Pippin. Oh it was Pippin who asked, sorry. But they say the trees here don't like strangers. They watch you and watch, keeping on you. They're there, what? Keeping their leaves on you. They do not have eyes. You got spooked, lads, a little. But still, they gotta pass through the old forest. There's no other way they can't get around it, so they got to go through... Which isn't quite true. Yeah. The forest is the shortcut, and they don't think the Nazgul are going to follow them. But yes, regular travelers would just go on the road and not through the forest, and... Well, it possibly isn't such a good shortcut with it being as dangerous as it is. Mm-hmm. But maybe the Nazgul would have caught them on the road. Yeah. So either way, it's not good. So they're going to, and they're starting to say, let me through, let me through as the trees get more oppressive. I'm not going to harm you. And then he just says, quiet, uh, don't shout because it's not going to help. And we'll die together, but oh, we're not going to die, not together, neither one by one. 
And then one of the trees, a willow tree, seems to be putting like a sleep spell on them. Yeah. It the special effects are bad here. It just looked like they're like waving around in front of the tree and the branches. Yeah, well, yeah, there was, like, kind of a a couple of dead branches that looked like they were held by somebody kind of not quite on camera. So you see them moving, but not attached to the tree. Um, Oh, in the book, it's different. It's, like, they come to a clearer place with the Withywithle River uh, coming through it, and they, like tangle their feet in the river and lean against the tree to sleep and the implication is the tree was influencing them to sleep but it didn't as openly attack them as it does here mm-hmm. now this scene it's semi left out of other adaptations except they put it in the extended version of the Peter Jackson films, but they put it connected with Fangorn and Treebeard and skip the Old Forest entirely. They also include the Old Forest in Lord of the Rings Online, and it's one of the less fun regions to be stuck in. Even if you're high enough leveled that nothing attacks you, you just get lost. Yeah. And there have been times it's easier to, like, let your character die so you'll be transported out of the woods to respawn than actually find your way out again. Mm-hmm. So that, they've, uh, reproduced that effect pretty well. And so anyway, the, they're fighting against the spell from the tree... I'm putting the everlasting sleep on you. Enjoy it. Leave all your troubles behind. Body feels weak. You will fall prey to the old forest trees. We will keep and guard your rest. Stay here. Sleep will be deep. Everlasting sleep. That's the main thing. Every mind shall long for. And something hits Frodo on the head. What's this? Brandy, Buck, Mary, what happened? Pin, Sam. Yeah, they're calling Pippin Pin all the time. I know, I noticed that. I'm not exactly sure how you get Pin from... Well, Pip, Pip. Pin. Uh, wake up, trouble. Mary has got caught. The willow has swallowed him. Help me. Ah, oh, you wicked thing. And then he remembers trees don't like fire, so he's going to put a torch to it to... He can't realistically burn it down, it's huge, but he can hurt it a little, and hopefully the tree will spit him out. Right. And as he's doing this, Mary's saying, stop, stop, he'll squeeze me in two if you don't, and put it away. And this the weird, ominous music is playing again. While this is happening. But then a different music is playing. I hear a song. A song. Help is near. Hey lads, follow me. Oh, before I go on. More on the subject of Lord of the Rings Online. The Willow Tree is included. Uh-huh. But it's pretty easy to evade. Like, it puts like the sleep effect on your character. But as long as you 
don't like stop and linger around it, you can get out easily. Yeah. Yeah. So. So what came first? This, you know, Lord of the Rings, or, uh, Wizard of Oz? I'm not sure. I'm just thinking of the the poppies and the the sleep effect uh, from the field of poppies in the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, although the tree is more actively malevolent, it hates yeah. people, it hates animals. Right, the poppies it, were just poppies. The poppies, it's more like a reference to like how the opium comes from poppies. Right. So they hear a song, and Tom Bombadil arrives, and he is hugely gigantic compared to the hobbits. Like, not just person compared to hobbit, like giant compared to hobbit. Which, I don't know whether this was a camera issue and they just went with it, because Frodo calls him a giant at some point. Yeah, he does. Oh, in the book? Tom Bombadil is taller than a hobbit, but he's short for a person, so he'd be like a short man, you know, with how he looks. And Goldberry, there isn't any real mention of her height, but there's nothing about her being huge, so... Well, Tom Bombadil is so large that he could basically put a hobbit in his mouth. Yeah. Or at least the head of a hobbit. I mean... And but good on them for actually including Tom because no other Lord of the Rings film adaptation ever has. Yeah. They have Tom. They have Tom. Tom they have Goldberry. Goldberry. Yeah. What they don't quite have right is their color scheme going. Mm-hmm. Like Tom should be wearing like a blue jacket and yellow boots, really clashingly, and he's got more like a red vest thing with kind of white uh, renaissance-looking sleeves and a hat on. He's not that weird-looking. And Book Tom is colorful. And Goldberry would be wearing, like, a green dress with, like, white lilies around the waist, like... Because, yeah, she's associated with the river and willows and she's kind of got this red um orange dress thing on instead. And even though she's wearing that, Tom is describing her as clothed all in silver green with flowers. And there she is clothes. right in front of you, absolutely not wearing that. Yeah. So He's not alarmed by the willow tree at all. He's like, oh, it's nothing worse than that. I'll... I know the tune for him. I'll sing his roots off. Sleepy sleep, go to sleep. And he pulls Mary out by his feet. And says they should come with him because Goldberry is waiting. Time enough for questions. Be around the supper table. Dawn West sinks the sun. Soon you will be groping. When the night shadows fall, then the door will open. Now he's speaking in rhymes, and these rhymes are mostly word for word from the book. 
And who is Goldberry? That must be his wife. And there's some untranslated words. Candles for to kindle. We're hungry. And in Tom's house, Goldberry is dancing. And enter good guests. Fear nothing here. Let us shut out the night. For you are still afraid. Perhaps of mist and tree shadows and deep water and untamed things. Do not fear nothing. For tonight you are under the roof of Tom Bombadil. And yeah, that's the part where he's like, here's my pretty lady, here's my goldberry clothes all in silver green with flowers in her girdle, where she is blatantly wearing orange red. Here's the table laid in nicely yellow cream and honeycomb and white bread and butter. Milk, cheese, and green herbs and ripe berries gathered. At first there's visibly no food on the table. And even when you get a closer look at the table and just some sort of food there, you can't really tell what it is. And it's certainly not uh, not what Tom described. Is that enough for us? Are the guests ready? Ready? Yes, we... Here we go. But first they have to wash their hands. And this sort of an awkward hand-washing scene where the giant... Like, Goldberry. Goldberry just towering above them with a picture of water and... So they're they're washing their hands in this pitcher of water. Well, actually, she pours from the pitcher. So they eat, and they go to sleep there, and follow on their way in the morning. And when the hobbits are in bed, they're like, "Sleep, sleep, sleep. Who are you, giant? Tell me. I am Tom. Eldest. That's what I am." And this is, like, after, like, Frodo's not asleep. And he introduces himself as Frodo. Don't fear anything. Rest while you're able. I know about you. No need to tell anything. Glad to be helpful on your hard journey. Show me the precious ring. And he... He gets out the ring and says, fine, I can leave it to you. And he says he only wants to look he at it. He only wants to look at it. That's awfully trusting of Frodo, awfully fast. Well, but he, if he left the ring, he wouldn't have to go further He on wouldn't have journey. to go further on his journey, and the ring has no power over Tom. Like, he can put it on and it, he won't disappear. Um, in the book, there's a full explanation later about, yes, if he'd gotten the ring, it wouldn't have had any power over him, but he would have, like, not taken it seriously and just forgotten it somewhere, and mm -hmm. they'd be in the same trouble all over again. Right. And Tom also doesn't go beyond his domain, which is pretty much that section of woods, the Barrow Downs beyond it, and... Yeah. I don't know what, whether or not Tom would have any power if he left the area. And uh, Tom says there are powers more mighty than that of this ring. Fearlessness and love of life can bend it, but only you can destroy the ring. Yes, take it. Tomorrow you'll meet new dangers. Be ready for everything. Follow the western slopes of the Barrow Downs. If lucky, you'll strike the east road in a day's journey. Now, I think specifically why uh, 
I guess I should uh, explain the barrel downs. Mm-hmm. This is a region that it's, you know, pleasant moorland, at least in the day. And, you know, sometimes sheep or Tom's pony will go- graze there. But it used to be... Uh, there were people that used to live there, and they buried their kings in barrows with a lot of treasure. And it's implied that these kings may have been evil. And you're not don't you're not supposed to mess with their tombs. And if you have to pass by the tomb, you pass on the side that's not with the entrance, and you don't get caught out there after dark, which we'll get to why in a few minutes. So I think the idea is the western slopes of it are less likely to be on the same side as the tomb openings. And they're making for the east road, which was originally what they started on before they detoured through the old forest. It takes them to Bree if you keep going. Mm-hmm. And you know, beyond that... You know, on and on for very long way. East Road. Listen carefully and learn by heart. Come, Tom Bombadil. Come, Tom Bombadil. For our need is near us. For our need is near us. You sing it. If she had fallen into any danger. And now go to sleep. Good night. And Frodo was dreaming of Gandalf, who says. My dear Frodo, now you're among friends. You are safe, but remember, it is just a break. Many perils await. Winter is coming back. Wake up, wake up, friends. Wake up, hurry, let's go. So they get up, and they're sped on their way, and they say, hold to your purpose. North with the wind in the left eye, and a blessing on your footsteps. Farewell, and good luck. Goodbye, farewell. And Frodo was seen riding a pony and eating bread. They got big, like, riding skirts on that like all the way over the horse's rump. Right, yeah. I'm not sure what the purpose of that is. He fed some bread to the pony too. Yeah, but why would you wear a giant riding skirt that goes over the whole horse like that? Is it to protect the horse or warmth for the horse? I kind of think it's a bad idea to have something that you're wearing that goes over the horse's rump for reasons, but I kind of had a similar thought with uh, Game of Thrones and the length of some of those cloaks, but... Uh, yeah, they... It's probably a regional type of thing that people do with horses there. So, that was my thought when I saw it. Maybe the horse needs less... I was going to say, maybe the horse needs less uh, grooming once you get there, but I don't think that's the case. And next, there's creepy laughter and a glowing skull, and the picture fades to an actor wearing really dramatic red and white, like, white makeup with, like, black around the eyes and, like, red lips. Very dramatic. And has a sort of white lacy doily looking ruff on the outfit and so now we'll go into why you don't go there after dark 
the tombs with the treasure in them from the kings are haunted. Mm-hmm. In the book, um, the whatever is haunting it actually makes the skeletons move and attack people. Yeah. It's kind of unclear to me, even reading the books, whether the uh, fell spirits are the ghosts of the kings, or whether there's something more, like, demonic from the void, or... And, yeah, they attack travelers that get too close to their uh, tomb openings at night, but they don't come out in the day. And they're called Barrow Whites. Now, for a bit of backstory, the word white, W-I-G-H-T, it's pretty much associated with zombies and undead now. And that's because of nerd pop culture that kind of started with this um, regarding that. It originally meant just man, and there was some kind of legend about a barrel white, so grave man, and that's what Tolkien con- Tolkien went with with his own creation. And since then, with whites being a thing in Dungeons and Dragons, and whites being a thing in Game of Thrones, it's now almost entirely associated with zombies. But this is sort of the beginning of it. So Tolkien didn't necessarily create the idea, because... This probably, you know, also connects with the Druger, which are a, a Norse legend of an undead creature. But calling them Barrow Whites, he made it popular. Yeah. And in the book, I think the idea that was that they were going to sacrifice the hobbits or something. In this, it's more like it's offering them wealth. But they're going to be dead. They'll be rich, but they'll be dead. And it's not moving the skeleton. It's more like there's a skull and there's this floating ghost figure above it. And that is the end of part one. Now this is long, so... We're going to continue with part two later and find out uh, what Frodo did about this particular predicament. This is a really creepy chapter in the book. It's one that um, doesn't feel great to read like after dark. Uh. Now, one thing to note on, you know, our, our doing this is uh, the way it was made and the fact that it's in Russian and has subtitles, what we ended up doing was writing down the text of the subtitles. Yes, I wrote down all of it. It took days. Yes, it it was an arduous task. And we actually both started writing down the text of the subtitles until we compared notes and like, hey, So if I do put this. a quote on the wrong person... I apologize, but it has to do with the manner that we took it, this down. Right. And, uh... So, yes. Pages and pages and pages of notes. You know, you know we... we I did both. almost, uh... Like, I alone, um, besides what she did, 
I did almost 22 full double-sided pages of note paper. Because, it, and it wasn't just writing down um, what the subtitles were, but it was also things like, you know, scene the, changes and that kind of thing uh, needed to be noted. So, it was... And part two is almost or maybe fully twice as long as part one. So we will cover part two um, soon. And and I will get, we will get more into the lore of the old forest and Tom Bombadil and the Barrel White. And when we get to those chapters in the book, which are going to treat them more fully than the film will. Um, but I will say Tom is left out of every other film adaptation and so is the Barrow White which is kind of surprising because you mean Peter Jackson is passing up a chance to show an undead creature CGI on screen? <laughs> I wonder if they if there was anything that was left on the cutting room floor did they even have these characters and then say they not? could have at least put them in the extended um well, there, there surely is stuff still on the cutting room floor. The accepted uh, explanation, generally uh, among fans, is to make the story more streamlined. Yeah, it's kind of a detour from the plot. Or Tom Bombadil would have looked too silly on the screen. I didn't find this Tom too silly. Maybe even not quite silly enough. Yeah. Um, I think if done properly, Tom could have been just the right amount of silly and, you know, other adaptations too, so... Uh, yeah, fans have kind of a really love him or really can't stand him uh, relationship with Tom. Yeah. Now, I'm a big fan, but... Not everyone likes it. So anyway, yes, we will continue with the next part of it. We'll continue with the book as well. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, tell others about us. What else would you like them to do, Sarah? Uh, follow our Facebook, join our Facebook group. Uh, message us with any feedback. We'd like to hear it. Uh, follow us on Apple Podcasts. Review. Rate. And uh, please keep listening. Thank you for listening to Castings the Fire Podcast. And have a good day. Bye.